Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am O'Brien McMahon, and this is People Business. Every business is in some way a people business. From Silicon Valley to the restaurant down the street, every business relies on groups of people working together toward a common cause. That's no easy task. While the world around us has evolved into a high-tech, interdependent matrix, our individual software is largely the same as it was 10,000 years ago. We are social, emotional animals balancing a need to fit in with a desire to stand out. Bring us together in large groups, put money on the line, and anything could happen. This is a show where current and aspiring business leaders can understand the people dynamics at play in their organizations and learn skills and techniques to improve their chances of long-term business success. This week, I'm joined by Rusty Bland, Senior Vice President of Engagement and Serving at Kehi Distributors. As one of their longest tenured leaders, Rusty has led Kehi's effort to institutionalize and perpetuate its unique culture and embed the company's mission, vision, and values into all talent processes. In his 14 years with the company, Rusty has managed Kehi's talent management function and more recently has assumed oversight for benefits, payroll, compensation, and the Kehi Foundation. Rusty has been a significant contributor to the development of Kehi's innovative high potential leader program, Aspiring Leaders that combines competency development, cultural connection, and personal character to shape Kehi's next-gen leaders. Rusty and I had a fantastic conversation that could easily have gone several more hours. Kehi is a very interesting organization. They are a B Corp, which we'll get into what that means. They're an ESOP, so they're employee-owned, and we talk about that. But at the same time, they're, they're a large business. They've got nearly 6,000 people, and they're in, in the distribution business, which is slim margins and can be a very uh, tough cutthroat business. But they've been able to institutionalize a culture of purpose, of interconnection, of human connection. And they've been able to use some behavioral psychology to create these frameworks for their leaders and for all of their people that have really got them functioning at a very high level. They have had tremendous business success over the last 10 years, and the future looks bright for them as well. And so it's really a great example of being able to marry the human side of business with the profit side of business. And so I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Without further ado, here is Rusty Bland. Be live in three, two, one, and we're live. Rusty, thank you for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Grateful to be here. Yeah, I, uh, I really look forward to this. I remember when you and I were going back and forth for having you come out and speak at the Chicago Sherm event. And we were just talking about what it meant to be a B corporation, what it meant to be a purpose-driven company. And I geek out about some of that stuff. So I think you and I spent too much time on that phone call just as a discovery phone call. And then when I started putting this together, I was like, man, I got to reach back out and, and get you on to talk about this stuff. So I guess I wanted to just start with defining some terms here. So yep. what is a B Corp. And I know that you talk a lot about being an ESOP too. And so yeah. I guess if you could just talk about what it is to be a B Corp and then what it is to be an ESOP and how that shapes the way that you run that business. Yep. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, and uh, it can get confusing. Every industry, every area discipline, if you will, has its own set of acronyms and language and lexicon. So it's really critical to where you start assuming all of this, like everyone knows what this means and, and it means a, 
10 different things depending on where you're sitting. But B Corp is um, think about fair trade, think about uh, certified organic. It's really a third party company organization uh, called B Labs. And they certify companies as B Corps. And essentially, to put it in, in just a one sentence, is they, they believe that business ought to be a force for good in the world. And similar to the kind of the ESG investing model, where you've got environmental, social governance, they're looking at how are you doing with the planet? How are you doing socially with your people and with all of the wages? And then how are you doing with your governance and your board? And, and, uh, and in that, very similarly with B Corp, is they're, they're doing an audit of our company. And at the end, if we've met the criteria and passed their point system, we're then certified as a B Corp. So, they're looking, so the value is if I'm a potential employee and I'm, I want to go work for a company that has meaning and purpose, and it's not just about managing and maximizing the bottom line. I can see that, oh, B-Labs has essentially certified that company, that that's that kind of company. Or if I'm a customer or if, I mean, we're a private company, but if I was investing and I wanted to look at companies that just stood for something that I believed in personally, then the B Corp is a way and the certification is a way to have some validation and some third party perspective. So for us, I'll be honest with you, we didn't change in order to become a B Corp. We just heard about it and go and, and said, wow, this seems to fit who we are. And why not let our customers know that it's not just a tagline or, you know, something on our website, but we have other more, you know, certifiable groups that have can validate, if you will, what we do. And, 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 and I will tell you too, though, that it's also shaped us a little bit because we've understood a little bit better about how to even you know, grab onto some opportunities around, uh, especially around environment. We've had a, we've got a lot, the, the planet is definitely, if you will, the area of how we measure our business that we have the most opportunity to really understand and grow. We, you know, we're a company that, that uh, we're a delivery company. Think about FedEx, UPS, trucks, conveyors, warehouses. And on top of that, we sell food and it's much of it is temperature sensitive. So we have freezers and coolers and so all of the things that that produces carbon wise we have to try to contend with and and the good news is that we're learning a ton we're, we're taking action we're trying to you know put in clean energy and buy different kinds of trucks and you know run our distribution centers off of different kind of power sources etc uh, and so without going into all of that b corp and, and the b certification is a way that you can know as a as an outsider that um, that that stamp of of quality, if you will, is on the company. And and so yeah, it it, it does dovetail into into many way every way that we run the business. But it's I just want to make be clear it's we're not doing it for the certification. The certification is is a way of of, of others knowing that we're, that's what we're about, if you will. Well, in the sense that I get from B corporations is. You, it's not really something that you can fake for a PR. Move. That's right. Like you really have to be committed to it. You have to commit the whole business to it. Otherwise you're just going to burn out and you're going to say, yeah, there's no, why yeah. would I ever do this? I'm just going to give up. It's got to be something yes. that you're committed to. How often do they recertify if at all? 
Uh, they do it every year. Oh, is it? Yeah, they, they do it thing. every year, and and it's they have conferences, and it's it's more of a movement. I'll tell you what, and they were they were leading with almost a manifesto like uh, kind of perspective where. Uh, you know, employees ought to be treated like this. The planet deserves this kind of treatment. You know, the, it just is good. It's good thinking and, and a good perspective that governance ought to look like this, that you ought to be inclusive. No matter who you are, what you believe, organizationally, you ought to be thinking inclusively that everyone has a spot, everyone's welcome. And, um, and so, yeah, it, it, you can't fake it. It's more of a movement than really um, anything else and the b the bees as as this community if you will this very growing community is um is is calling themselves um they they are very focused on on movement like perspectives and what we like about it is it's not radical it's very much saying business has to be successful you are you are a hobby if you're not in, you know, trying to maximize your profits, but, but they're all in relationship to each other. We, we call it our four P's, our, our, our planet, our people, uh, our profits and our purpose. And that's the way we f- frame in our culture are those four P's. And they're, they're all in relationship to each other. So our finance team is very clear with me, Rusty, no margin and no mission. <laughs> so yeah. You know, you have to you have to manage it well, and the, and the B organizations around the country are very aware of that. They're very focused on that, but they're also investing and they're saying we ought to be a force for good. And uh, and so anyway, I know that that definition can get really, you know, it's in the eyes of the beholder, if you will. But um, they've done a really nice job of of bringing it into a marketplace relevant perspective and and i think the time is coming where it's going to be more curious why a company wouldn't strive for being a b corp why wouldn't you want to be that because everyone wants to work for a b corp everyone wants to do business with a you know with a b corp why wouldn't you want to be that and so maybe that's my idealism but i I do think there's a lot of momentum around that peer pressure Um, can be a force for good as well as a a negative force yeah Yes, don't we? Anyone, any one of us who have raised children can know that. Uh, so, so uh, the ESOP would love to hear how that plays in too, because I think it's one thing to be B Corp and it's you have to be very committed, but ESOP is another thing that you have to, be, have to be very committed to. And I don't know if you think of those two things as as almost natural because of the way that they're set up, but would just love to hear how you think about that with the business too. Yeah, you you actually get a lot of points within the East, the B Corp world because you're an ESOP because it essentially uh, they're, they're measuring ownership. Um, they're, they're trying to encourage organizations to provide their employees a greater stake within the organizations. And so in many ways we're a perfect fit in that uh, we do have a private equity investor in KHE. Um, minority investor, a little over 10% of the company, but the remaining is owned by the ESOP trust. And so the ESOP stands for Employee Stock Ownership Plan, and it's complicated. Uh, KEHI is one of the largest, actually. I think it's in the top five or 10 as far as 
revenues and employee sizes. So it tends to be a little bit smaller, you know, medium-sized companies, if you will, if not small-sized companies. And um, and so, yeah, there's a, there's a certainly a a perspective when you are thinking about employee owners, when you're thinking about the ways that you need to get things approved at a governance perspective. Uh, we have a trustee that is outside of our board, outside of of the ownership structure that speaks for the ESOP, if you will. And management is a fiduciary of speaking for the ESOP, which you know overall is just saying we, we want to represent the good of our employees. Um, on top of that, every year, it's a little bit like a pension, if you think about it. A pension's people, the longer you stay, the more you know you got put into your pension by that organization. Kehi um, issues benefit every year in the form of, of ESOP shares, and those shares are valued annually. So the longer you stay at Kehi, you just get shares added to your account every year. And then as the better we do or as a, as a company from a valuation standpoint, the more those shares are worth. So just over time, you've got this really amazing um, retirement, if you will, account that if the company does well and we've done extremely well, that account can uh, you know, grow by 30, 40. You know, we've had years where it's doubled in value. Um, to contrast it against a 401k perspective, there's no comparison. It's, it, it allows the you know, a, an hourly employee to, to essentially, in our, at least in our business, own, own a stock that's a little bit like a, um, you know, just a high growth uh, Silicon Valley kind of stock that, that most frontline employees would never have the opportunity to get in on an IPO like that or in, you know, have an opportunity to, to get a share in something like that. And so in this case, you know, we've got employees in our distribution centers making 45, 50,000 a year that are getting these shares that have, you know, that have doubled and tripled in value for them. And so they've got just really some nest eggs building that that's just really fun and really exciting that we can provide that kind of um, opportunity for those folks. So it does change how we think about our business and, and what we're focused on and for sure has a lot of implications on governance and um, decision-making. Well, you know, everything that I've read says equity and compounding are the two biggest yep. ways to build wealth. And so it's creating a structure that allows for people who, like you said, who wouldn't otherwise get access to that to be building those two together. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you, you've probably read the, the, the statistics about the average savings rate or 401k balance for the average um, citizen in the United sure. States. And it's, you look at it and you say, how in the world that that's not really going to last them for one medical procedure, perhaps, you know, and if we can double, triple, even quadruple that amount by adding on top of whatever their savings look like from a 401k standpoint, add this ESOP over top, it, it may not be a wealth creator for many, um, but it certainly is changing their dependency throughout their retirement years, which is a, is a very big deal, I think, um, yeah. culturally. So, well, that, I mean, that retirement piece is a, a big leg on the stool of the business I'm in, you know, we do total rewards consulting and, right. you know, so we're talking to people all the time about, 
that exact issue. And that's, and they're trying mm -hmm. on the, on the 401k side, you try to combat it with things like auto enrollment, auto escalation, some of those yes. things. But, you know, like you said that even those don't stand a chance compared to what you're able to do for your employees. Yeah. Yeah. And we have those, we have all of those. We've been very aggressive on our 401k with those as well. Um, and then we also always want to do these comparisons so that people can understand that ESOP to, to some just seems like, like funny money. Like I want to, I want money right now to go do this tomorrow. And we're saying, no, 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 this is an account that you really don't access until you're in those retirement years. And then you, then here's, and not that they can't, they can, and there's rollovers and there's all that kind of, you know, uh, they're, ten, they're, they're vested after three years, for example. So, but even that three years for some of these frontliners, I mean, I'm going to work for one, work for you guys for three years, you know, so it's for, for the job hopper that's every 12 months in and out, it's, this isn't going to have any meaning, but, but for someone who's looking for a place to set up shop for the long haul, you know, this as they understand it and see the results and then look around to other employees who are just, you know, saying, yeah, this is awesome. Uh, it, it has a really great magnetic quality that um, creates great engagement. It has, you know, you always want a company, I think, that has owner perspectives, owner mentalities. And the ESOP is a way that provides that without necessarily having everyone making the decisions, you know, where, where you have no one making decisions because of that. It's not, it's not a, um, you know, anarchy. Uh, you don't have 8,000 different owners all kind of voting differently. Um, so there's structure to it, but it, it does have this, um, you know, this opportunity for, for people to have a mindset about how to run the business and how to even save, you know, uh, costs and not waste money because it feels like it's their money. And, it, and to a large extent it is. Do, do you have any examples of that? Like how yeah. either decisions that were made or innovations or, or things that uh, were impacted by people thinking like owners? You know, I don't know if I would have a shining, you know, somebody um, dove and, and, you know, sacrifice themselves and <laughs> caught the winning touchdown, you know, and they, they were knocked unconscious, but they held onto the ball. I don't have necessarily that. Well, that's a but, work comp claim. So <laughs> fair enough. But there are hundreds of examples every day. Uh, and I think about, I've spent a lot of time in the Chicagoland based distribution centers. We're all over the U S but you go in and you meet uh, these individuals and I'm thinking of a, you know, some in particular that have immigrated to this country. They love the United States. They love this opportunity they have to work and to, to build something for themselves and get an education for their children and all these things that may be from their countries of origin. They, they didn't have that opportunity. And on top of that, they, you know, 15 years ago, uh, when we started ESOP, they got a, you know, at, at about, two and a half dollars a share, they started getting these shares and, and they've watched that grow to, you know, almost 50 bucks a share now. And, and, you know, wow. it's growing at, you know, 30, 40% right now in this season that we've been in and uh, a year. And so um, they, they just, you know, they pay attention to the little things. And so when you, what's cool is that it's not a big thing. 
it's a thousand little things. It's a thousand, you know, things that could be waste that when you aggregate it, it it's very meaningful on the bottom line and it creates a mindset and a, uh, an alignment, if you will, um, if you do it well. So, well, again, yeah, I mean, that goes back to compounding, right? It's yes, just that little exactly. stuff that you do every day, you know, you get one or two every day of those decisions and suddenly you're, company is an entirely different organization a year or two yes and then to your point the efficiencies uh the innovations the how do we do this differently so that we don't keep banging our heads against the wall or we take advantage of that market opportunity or all the things that you you really want to have happen um, just start happening a little bit more organically yeah so you you were talking about you know, having a national presence, you're talking about people who come in who are job hoppers. I mean, you're in an industry that has a lot of turnover typically. Yes. I, I mean, I've had clients in the distribution space and, you know, there's always conversation about what's the person down the street doing because if they're paying 25 a cents an hour more, we're going to lose a bunch of people. And you've got, I, I think I saw it's like 5,500 people around the country. How do yep. you keep them? How do you keep that many people? working towards a mission, right? You're a B Corp. How do you keep them on purpose and feeling like owners? Like that seems like a very daunting task. Yeah. I, I wish I could say that we're full bright. And so maybe people will be encouraged that might listen to this and go, Oh, they've got the same problems we do, you know? Uh, but our turnover is atrocious in the warehouse, um, environment. And, and to your point, um, when Amazon opens down the block, even though they have a, uh, they actually have a, a reputation that at least in the warehouse, people will say that they don't treat me that well there. But for a dollar more an hour, two dollars more an hour, they're gone, you know. And then they'll and and we're, uh, you know, we're in the same boat where they'll jump to us, and there there's a lot of jumping that's happening. And some of it is the landscape that we've been in. Uh, we're really curious what it will look like post uh, the stimulus dollars that are making it, frankly, more financially appealing for people who are in that warehouse class to stay at home right now and be unemployed because they're getting $1,000 a week, yeah. uh, which is about as much as you would make um, if you were working fully employed in our warehouses in, on that front line and, 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 and even kind of adding some overtime in. So they're all things being equal, like, yeah, I'm going to stay at home because I'm getting the 400 plus the 600. So I, but the curiosity will be as we, we get away from that full employment line that we've been sitting at for a while in the economy, will there be a little bit more stickiness in that population? Um, and I'm not just blaming the Generation Z or whatever, however you want to call them, that have a different mindset but it's it's been a what we see is that they stay with us 12 months the turnover dramatically changes and frankly if they stay with us one month we have we have a lot of people that just come in they get a they get they get a stay you know they get their sign-on bonus they make it through the first month and then they're out and they got you know what we find out is they have money in their pockets and now they're going to go spend it and, you know, and, and take a week off and jump to the next job because it's so easy to sign on to someplace else. There's not really, 
at this point, a lot of scrutiny that is saying, well, no, we don't need you, especially if you've left that other guy after only working there a month. Well, everyone's hungry having the same issues. And so jobs have been plentiful in the warehouse. Well, with, in our space, we've seen, um, you know, the food service providers almost go to zero. Um, you've seen some of the kind of the, the eat away from home, uh, you know, those jobs have evaporated. And so a lot of the eat at home grocery, uh, grocery distributors like us, um, they're hiring millions, frankly, at least hundreds of thousands. If you look at Walmart and Amazon and, uh, and Kroger and, and all of those kinds of retailers and, and distributors. Um, so I, you know, that's a, that's a long-winded way of saying um, we've struggled with this. But when we get people to stay after just a little bit of time, because they really want to build something, they have an energy that says, I want to, you know, set up shop somewhere. Um, and, I, and I'm going to have a steady uh, income. I'm going to try to have a progression of even more responsibility, perhaps, and more, more earning potential and, and educational assistance and, you know, and very affordable health care and all the things that we have offer people. But some of it just requires you to, to stick around and want to be invested. So once we get there, the numbers get really, really good. And particularly, with, you know, one of the problems that in talent, uh, you know, we've been hearing for the last several years about the talent wars. There's going to be a talent war going on for the highest quality talent. And in the last 24 months, that shifted to warehouse, which is just really a whole different topic and interesting. But at that top level, we've had an amazing track record of, of, of attracting and retaining great talent um, because people have options. They look around at, at a Kehi and they see high growth. They see um, a, a belief and an investment in people and having people be the priority and also a desire to win. And the combination of I'm going to get stuff done and be at my best and be able to grow and and grow in my discipline, <clears throat> grow in my, my skill sets, but do it with a team that I, I love being with and they're kind and they care for each other and they think differently, frankly, which I, I, I really like that Kehi thinks differently. We, we're, we wanna be a different kind of company. So uh, at, in that group of, of frankly, highly educated, highly capable, you know, employees and talent, we, we've, we've got an amazing, track record going and um and and a momentum and, and an engine that people are coming to us um wanting you know and kind of waiting hey let me know when the opportunity might open let me know that kind of thing. so um it's been a really interesting shift that way as we've grown <clears throat> yeah there's um i was thinking as you said and you said winning team uh like we all we all want to be on a winning team yes and, and that that will make up for a few dollars. I, well, I believe so. I believe so. Especially again, it depends on, you know, the group of employees, the kind of industry, sometimes that, that doesn't penetrate, but certainly if you've been around a little bit and you've seen a few bonus checks and, and you, Hey, I like this, but, but then at some point you really want to be able to go into work and be excited about who you're going to see excited about your your leader your manager your supervisor know that your your supervisor 
cares about you, mm-hmm. you know, genuinely cares about you, your life, your family, your success, uh, your well-being, and it does not see you as an asset to be leveraged, but instead sees you in your humanity with strengths, weaknesses, uh, successes, failures, all of it, uh, all of your, you know, and, and that's where the inclusion thing kicks in too. It's like, yes, all of, all of, all of you, we, we call it whole person. And we really want to go for, for leaders that are trying to be as healthy as they can be themselves so that they help their teams be as healthy as they can be. And I, and I mean healthy physically, mentally, spiritually, and every facet of that. So when you start defining it and say, yeah, that's like, I want to be a part where I can belong and become, and we can win, do it as a team. Uh, that gets really exciting. And that's, that's the kind of culture we have in a greater sense when you start pulling away from the distribution centers a little bit and, and the current issue we have going on there. I'm going to butcher this. And uh, I work with a leadership coach and he's, I hope he doesn't listen to this because he's going to be mad because he's <laughs> said this at least three or four times to our group. But um, there's a, a great quote that I'll just paraphrase, which is essentially that everybody is looking for somebody who's going to bring out the best in them. You know, we, we are, what we want is to be around yep. people who are going to push us to be our best. And that might be uncomfortable sometimes that it's going to challenge us sometimes, but like we want somebody who's going to help us elevate to be, to become our best. And I, yeah, I believe that that's true. I agree a hundred percent. I would, what we're discovering and what we've seen is that um, there's a, there's a new, there's a kind of complexity to that. There's a nuance to that. Um, I would imagine the, so. Yeah. Well, in the sporting, the sporting realm, you know, offers some really good examples and you kind of think about right now with the Michael Jordan series, you know, the last dance and, and, uh, you know, he's a guy that pushed people and, uh, and he wasn't always liked as he was doing that, but they won championships and they loved that aspect to it. And at some point there was a, a unity and a love for each other that emerged. And it usually was after when Jordan's on the ground crying and they didn't even know that he had that kind of emotion in him because he was so focused. Um, here's, here's what we're discovering as we think about what you said about people want to perform at their best. Um, the neuroscience around people's behaviors and uh, what their, what, how their brains are wired is they really want to experience joy mm. and the brain is kind of wired to release oxytocin and we can do it, you know, artificially these days, but it's, it's a naturally occurring chemical in your brain and it's released around joy. And that joy always happens at the highest in relationship, in relationship with another human, human to human. It doesn't matter if you're an extrovert or, or an introvert, it's still triggered, if you will, positively when you have an excellent interaction with another human being. And we've developed what we call a rare leadership model that's predicated on that science. And there's a whole bunch of science in addition to that around how the brain works and the different levels of the brain. And, and, and essentially what we're trying to you know, encourage is that don't get motivated by fear or shame 
don't motivate yourself that way. Don't motivate your teams by that. Because you can motivate by fear and have good results, meaning you won, but everyone feels dirty and toxic on the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you don't really want to stay together after the season. Like, I'm out. Because that didn't feel good. I won. I have the ring. I got paid. But I felt like crap along the way. And I didn't feel seen. I didn't feel heard. Under, I didn't necessarily act like my best self. I maybe did winning work. But if I define work as my best version of myself and I include people and how the team felt, if you will, and, and the team staying, the stickiness that happens within a team to want to stay together and keep winning over and over and over again. So that over, let's say a five year, 10 year run in the market, you got a 10 X return, you know, kind of that good to great, if you will, type of flywheel that Collins talks about so well. Um, that happens as these teams really love each other. And I, and I know it's a weird term to use maybe in the business context. Yeah, we're not supposed to use that in, a, in the business world. Right? Yeah. So, so let's rephrase <laughs> it. Let's rephrase it. They really want to be together. Yeah. They, they enjoy, they being enjoy together. each other. Yeah. And why? It's because they trust each other. So speed of trust, five dysfunctions of a team, all these things apply at that trust level. Um, but they also just genuinely are enjoying each other. And so anyway, I, I, I won't, I could geek out on the science about it. And what, what, what we're trying to do is teach our leaders how to stay in that place. What we call, what the rare model would say is remain relational. That's the R in rare. As you re remain relational, you, you will act like your best self. So the A is act like your best self. When you get triggered, and you will, and the triggering will happen for a variety of reasons, it's different for every person, you then go to a place of fear and shame as a motivator, and it creates toxicity. So we're saying, okay, stop yourself. And we have ways that people can do that. And then return to joy return to that best self version. That's the second R in rare. And then E is endure hardship well. So as you do this over time, and as you mature as a leader, as you become what we call an elder in the community, you will be able to withstand COVID-19, frankly. You'll be able to withstand bad quarters of earnings. You'll be able to withstand having a customer say, you guys suck and you, you know, get out of here, beat it. Um, and you'll still be able to lead that team as an elder, providing the kind of relational uh, maturity that people want. Um, and call that your Phil Jackson, you know, call that your person at that, in that coach seat. But um, it's, it's, a, it's an elder, you know, it's that person that we look to and, and, and families. I had a great, I always think of my grandfather on my mom's side, uh, he was that patriarch, but everyone has that elder and it's not gender specific. It could be, you know, anybody, but it provides that true North, you know, not just vision, but also relational, uh, well, uh, health. That's the model that we have anyway, staying relational, keeping the team focused on the next hill we got to take. And, um, and so anyway, it's, it's when you do that across as many leaders as possible, you see a, a flywheel happening and it starts at the top and then it, it just rolls through the organization. People want to be healthy in a relational sense and they want that, but it's, it's a lot of work. And, uh, and so anyway, that, that's kind of how, how we look at 
our leadership models and it fits within our cultural um, serving to make lives better. It starts with our own people and how we treat them and then it kind of moves out from there. Are you familiar with Chip Conley's Elder Academy? Not as familiar as I should be, but I've heard it referenced. Heard okay. it referenced. Dude, Chip Conley, who was the founder and CEO of uh, Joie de Vivre, the hotel chain out on the West Coast, and his venture now is he's really focused on, I think it's called the Elder Academy, and it's all about how you, as an elder, and that could be from, I, th- I think they call it even like mid-30s and up, like how you, hmm. gain, how you collect wisdom and share that wisdom back with the community and make connection and and all those kinds of things. So uh, I wasn't sure if that had any connection there. I mean, the, the rare, it didn't, at least not to my knowledge, it might've informed. We, we, we've drawn from a couple of different sources. There's a book out there called rare leadership um, that we know the authors and we've worked with them and we've tailored it to our organization tailored. It's, that was written more for a faith community, that book for, uh, a church environment, frankly. Um, and while that had its place there, we've, we've taken that intellectual property and, and made it more appropriate for the marketplace, but they may have drawn on, on, on the elder Academy idea. I, I do think it's, it's, it's a, um, it's also just kind of a sense of maturing relationally and understanding that there's so much energy and potential when you, when, when you have all of the relationships in your life to your ability uh, handled in a, in a healthy way. And, um, and so, you know, it's kind of that idea of you can only control yourself and even that's a lifelong struggle. <laughs> um, but as you, so as you can, and, and so the, the elder is at the top of the achievement, if you will. Um, and it's all about the span, we, instead of span of control, we label it span of care. So when you're starting out, you're barely able to care for yourself. And frankly, we have CEOs in some companies around this, you know, around the industries that we're in that are at that infant level that they barely can care for themselves, really. They may have talents and skills, but their care level is so low that they're almost at that infant level. And then when you kind of progress, you think about your kids now, they can make their own bed at some point they can pack their own backpack, you know, make their own sandwich for school. So they're starting to care for themselves, right? And that maybe is where we want to hire people as individual contributors that you got to care for yourself here and be healthy, be well. You know, you, ha- you, you have to be a learner. You have to manage your own career. You, you know, you, you can't keep looking at your manager, at, at your, bo- at your, your uh, company or somebody else to provide the opportunity. You need to prepare it right that's that's the care for yourself level as they start to figure that out then they can care for a team and that span of care starts to grow and eventually you 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 care for leaders that are caring for teams and so maybe you you know you've got four or five or six managers reporting to you you're you're managing a whole business unit that's more what an elder we would expect that person to have more of an elder like capability where their span of care extends out to be well beyond themselves. They're caring for themselves still. Now they're also caring for 
others who are caring for others, if you will. So sure. it's a, it's a powerful model. And I think it, 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 lay, it lays over top of the career lattice that we will often, you know, coach our people about. And are you communicating in these terms to all of your employees? We are. I will tell you that it's been about a 10-year odyssey. Um, and so things like the speed of trust from Covey, things like five dysfunctions of a team from Lencioni, uh, we use some different uh, assessment tools like Emergenetics, certainly MBTI and, and others we've used. Um, Rare has been, we've been about 24 months into Rare. And it started with our senior leadership team. And, uh, and we, we, we tested it there. And it was just amazing and life-changing. And then we rolled it out to our high potential leaders. And they were just blown away. And, you know, the readout after the first year was one of those. I called my wife on the drive home. We were at a, a hotel in Oak Brook, Illinois. And driving home, I just said, that was a career moment right there for me. Like to hear the impact of rare on our high potentials. Uh, Life-changing is what they all talked about. And how it affected their families and how it affected well beyond the workplace. Like that was cool. That was really, really cool. And, and at that moment, it's like, okay, I, I, we had to set everything aside and like, let's do rare and let's get it in there and let's wire it everywhere into the company. And so we're about six to eight months into that phase of rare, if you will. And uh, co it, it's a very, very in-person training event and development event. And so we've had to put a lot on pause in the last couple of months and we're as a team, we're pivoting to say, how do we make Rare a virtual event as well? And we've done virtual. We have material. It's just, it's just not as, you know, not the same thing. Um, well, congratulations. I mean, I, thank you. That's great to have that, to be able to have that kind of a career moment must have felt amazing. So congratulations. on Yeah, that. It, 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 it was, it was very, it was, it was emotional. It was yeah. one of those where you go, wow, like what's happening right now? I'm out, I'm having an out of body experience. Yeah. So it was really cool. That's, that's fantastic. And I, you know, I think another lesson there just in what you're talking about too, is that this is, it always has and continues to evolve, you know, yes. and, and that there's always a little bit better. You can always get a little bit better. Don't get down on yourself for being not perfect now. It's just about continuing to work on this stuff and helping everybody absolutely grow through you know it grow in whatever way whether whatever framework you use just helping everybody move forward whether it's the you know the infant toddler uh teen elder yeah. model which right. i was i had this image in my head of a ceo like a baby ceo growing yes. through the phases and I, that's a hilarious image <laughs> well you, you picture a ceo sometimes or chairman of the board and and you sometimes you go they're in diapers right now aren't they like they are literally from a relational maturity level they're operating like a narcissistic you know infant yeah and unfortunately we we have too much of that and that, that's part of the problem is people have stopped developing because that you know we're i'm a big brene brown fan you know she's sure. got a lot of popularity and yeah. she's talking about how courage looks like vulnerability and you kind of shake your head like wait no that's not 
That's not how our marketplace has been built. She's right though. That's the thing is that done well, it's going to look more vulnerable. It's going to look more like I'm dealing with some stuff to be a more effective leader. Yes. To do hard work, but it's going to be dealing with some pain and it's an, it's an inward journey. It's not, you know, a Stanford or a Wharton school of business or it may, that's, that's certainly amazing and awesome. And you should go for that. It's not some things that we tend to just elevate as the best in the marketplace. Uh, I think some of our heroes are the ones that have just really gone through a lot of internal excavation work is what Brené Brown would call it. Um, And at times it feels like that. Um, So, yeah, it is, it is hard work. And, um, you know, what, what we've seen, uh, one of the questions I get asked is, well, what do you do if someone opposes you and you're, let's say you're an HR, for example, and you're trying to drive these initiatives or you're a cultural champion trying to be the, um, you know, kind of be the impetus and the catalyst around some transformative change, you know, and I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea how much opposition we've experienced. <laughs> and, and it's, it just is not something you do. I don't think well in 12 months. Yeah. Uh, some of these things just take a, a vision that says, I'm going to be here and I'm going to keep at it and I'm packing a lunch. And so you're not going to wear me down and, and I'm, I'm a sports guy. So I'm thinking, you know, yeah, you may feel like you've beaten me in the first quarter, but this is a four quarter, you know, engagement we're in. And, and I, I believe in this cause. Uh, I've got 5,000 employees, 6,000 employees now that are frankly depending on me and my role um, doing what is best for them and from a care perspective. So that means that I need to bring those leaders around. I need to win them over. I need to help them come to a place where they can embrace this. Or if they can't, figure out a way that they exit the company in a gracious way, you know, and help, help the leader that maybe is, is enamored with that leader, you know, and maybe that other leader is keeping them here. It's like, no, we need to move on. You know, this, the culture is way, way too valuable. So over time, we've had to go into that, those battles over and over and over again. And it, it's felt like it's been about 10 years, to be honest, where it's easier and easier and easier. And today it literally feels like I'm not fighting the battles at all. Everyone else is. These other leaders that and some of them were in, in opposition, they've run way past, they've lapped me. You know, they're coming back with better ideas and new ways of building our culture. And they're so bought into the notion of how critical a healthy culture is. Um, we we that talked about, so, sorry, we no, talked go ahead. about, um, uh, we were sitting in one of our group leadership sessions and we were talking about the engage, the disengage, the actively disengage. And, and yeah. one of our leaders said, oh, well, we have to, you know, we can't, we got to forget the actively disengaged and we got to go and start focusing on the disengaged and get them to engage and, or even the passive folks and get them to turn on. And the, the coach that we work with stopped and said, no, 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 you're thinking about this the wrong way. The people who are just coasting along will always coast along because that's their mentality. The people who are actively disengaged, 
they at least they have an opinion. You know, they are they're they're it's active true. in a certain way, and it's those people you have to lean into and deal with that struggle and fight through that because if you can get them to see the light and get them to come around to your side, now they're going to be actively engaged. Yeah. And so that's, well you know, it's like those people who then lap you. And in yeah. our group, uh, we have about 15 to 20 of us uh, at any one time in our group. And the people three years into this who are the most passionate about it are the people who in the beginning were the most actively disengaged. You know, they were the most skeptical mm -hmm. at the beginning. And it was funny because that comment came out early and it just proved to be true even within our little microcosm. I love that. Yeah, I think that's, there's so many ways that that applies to, you know, our lives, if you will, uh, broadly speaking. Uh, um, the, the, one of the ways that we'll say that is, is I, I just get into the, get into the game. You know, it's the Teddy Roosevelt quote, like get in the arena. Yeah. Be willing my, to get, that's I love my favorite. That yeah. Yeah. Be willing to get bloody and don't be on the sideline being a critic and you, you don't really, your, your opinion doesn't matter to me, frankly. Um, and I think that's really true. I think so. So having an actively disengaged, I think what I was thinking about, which is a little, it's, it's a similar mindset, but it's a little different is take the employee who's very engaged from a engagement survey perspective and the ways that we think about bringing your maximum effort uh, or discretionary effort is how they might measure it. Willing to go above and beyond, you know, right. And if you have a group of people that is that, but think back to what we were saying earlier is, um, you, and here's how we've described it. We have, a, we have cultural aligned people who buy into the values that we're going for. And, uh, and, and so you have, you have a quadrant, let's say, that's, that's high culture. And who fits into that? And the other, the other um, square or the other measurement, if you will, directionally is high getting stuff done. Like they are, they're just after it they're tireless and they're working and they'll get it done. GSD is what we call it. And it's, yeah. doesn't, it's not stuff, right? But we'll cleanse it for the <laughs> podcast. You can say so you whatever you want on here. There's no rules. <laughs> so you got culture, high, low, and you have GSD, high, low. And, and plot out your whole organization in one of those four squares. You're either high, 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 low, <clears throat> low, low, or high, high. High high is what we're going for. I want someone who's getting stuff done, but doing it in a way that so the how really matters, where they they they're they're executing and implementing and embodying the values of goodness and serving and being humble and others focused. The what we've seen the journey look like is people that are high GSD, low culture, like don't give me that soft HR stuff we got to get it done. We got to take the hill. Don't ask me how I took the hill. Don't really criticize me. I took the hill, right? So a little bit of Patton. Yeah. We, we admire patents. We, we do want to pin a star on our patents. Uh, and, and you get kind of excited about that individual at times. But then when Patton slaps a wounded soldier, you know, in the hospital because he's being a coward, uh, you know, Eisenhower, everybody has to go, no, that's, that's not going to create the winning environment that I'm going for. It creates fear. Yeah. And again, fear can be a motivator that gets stuff done. 
but it doesn't win it over time. It doesn't build a team that is trustworthy, that is loyal because they feel like they can be their best selves. Um, and I'm not talking soft here. This is, <laughs> we're absolutely going to go into battle and we're going to crush our competitor. There's no question about it. And we're going to take market share and we're, you know, all of these things, but we're going to do it because we love working together. We love what we do. We want to be our best selves and keep growing. So when you have people that can GSD at the highest level and then also uh, do it for each other and do it in this cultural, you know, mindset that has an elder perspective and span of care perspective, um, that's when you get incredible momentum. And that's what we've seen happen is that people naturally go up the GSD side because you get easy, you, you get bonuses right away. You get at a boy, at a girl right away. You get all the accolades. And so you learn how to GSD well, like a, you know, like Pavlovian dog. Um, but then you start going, man, why are people quitting? Like, why do I have such high turnover on my team? <laughs> maybe people don't like working for me. They're not engaged or maybe they are engaged because of different reasons, but they actually don't like me a whole lot. You know, they don't want to be on my team. They're not excited to come into work because all I'm doing is GSDing them in the most highly accountable way and kind of creating fear. If you don't get that done or how could you not get that done? So the shame or fear, you know, twin toxic uh, emotions. But when you can create that community of, um, of care that is absolutely GSDing at the highest level, that's when that momentum gets really cool to see. And it gets, you get returns in, in season, you know, uh, season after season after season. So we're, we're going for the high high on both, if you will, is how we've looked at that. And, and we've seen people move from the GSD only to where they're both. And in some ways, you just shake your head like, really? You're over in this camp now? And they are. We've, we just have seen some crazy transformation happen over, over time. But it takes time at, for folks. So, Have you read yeah. Simon Sinek's Infinite Game? I've not read it. I've listened to 15 or 20 of his youtube the little you know, vignettes that he's done with it yeah, yeah. where he's you, doing the infinite you, game yeah i love yeah, you, the concept you get a pretty good take on it there you know it's it's based on the finite and infinite games uh yes. philosophy book that can't i can't think of the author but came out a number of years ago um, yeah uh, but that i mean i was thinking about that almost right when you opened your mouth at the beginning of this and you've you sprinkled it in several times you know you can win you can win the game and lose the series and you, you know, you yes. can win the short term and lose the long term. And, and the other concept that I really like from the book is like, nobody wins a career. It's just, right. it's a thing that keeps going. And like, nobody wins at business. The whole point of the game of business is to stay in business. You might right. win a deal, right? You might be the best in your industry for a certain year. So you might win accolades, but the whole point is perpetuation. There is no victory. And yep. thinking about that, taking a taking that infinite mindset when you're looking at your overall business, when you're looking at your own career, and, and then you can take an, a finite mindset when you're looking at specific wins, but you always have to keep in mind, like, is this going to, am I sacrificing something in the long run for this win? And you got to be, you got to be aware if you, if you're going to make those trade-offs. Yeah, that's, I think that's really, really well said. Uh, <clears throat> it starts getting into 
you know, the, we, we, as I said earlier, we think about our company in four P's and you can shuffle them around, but you've got people, planet, profits, purpose. And purpose is an interesting one when you think about purpose, um, because you start getting into that infinite versus finite and you start thinking about, well, what do I really want to be known for when I hang it up? You know, what, what's my legacy? Yeah. Uh, I sh- and, and in my case, we shipped a lot of brown boxes, didn't we? You know, we're all high-fiving, you know, with our shuffleboard, you know, in hand because uh, we're retired at that point. We can hardly <laughs> move. You know, it's like, what do you and, – and, and what people tend to talk about is, is people at the end. And they, they really would love to be known as someone who influenced others. You'd love to – all of us have that leader that you can think about that has really left a mark in your life in a positive way that gave you, they saw in you something they built into you and maybe it's a couple leaders, but I think we all want to be that leader to be honest at our core. And you hope to be, even if it's just one person, you hope to leave behind a legacy of, of, of impact and purpose. And so we really talk about that on day one, when you come into Kehi is, is I never want you to leave, but if you do, and when you do, statistically at some point you will for whatever reason you know what do you want to be known for what do you want this time to be and how do you how do you want to use it well and we're going to ship a lot of boxes and we're an essential business so we're going to feed america we're going to work on making sure our grocery customers are absolutely as stocked as possible and pantries have lots of options even in ridiculously high volume time like we're in um but but more than that is how do we treat each other along the way? How do we treat our customers when our when our drivers showed up at the back door of a grocery store? Um, you know, how did we take our profits and invest them? Did we invest them back into the front line, you know, in essential service bonuses? Or did we just pay out bigger management bonuses because we saw volume increase? Did we take any of the profit and invest it back into our communities that are frankly uh, seeing extreme hardship right now. And it's going to get worse as the stimulus money runs out. And, it, and I don't mean just South side of Chicago or South side of wherever, or, or New York city or all these urban centers. Uh, Africa is struggling mightily right now. Um, and, and any of the developing world can't go outside. They have no medical services. And so they're just in lockdown. You can't go anywhere. You can't travel. You can't, you can, you know, in Honduras, where we have a lot of our serving that we do and our giving goes to Honduras, they can leave the house every two weeks, once every two weeks, and they track people by their ID cards. Oh, wow. Um, and you can't go to work and you can't and you don't have reserves. And so anyway, it's it's just my point is we, we believe that as we serve others um, and, and you, it starts with the people on your left and your right that you're working alongside, but then it goes beyond our, the walls of our company and it goes out to the communities and our customers. Um, that's your highest purpose. That's where you will find the greatest amount of satisfaction is that you've impacted others. You've done, and, and again, it feeds into the B Corp, you know, beginning point, but, but real purpose is not, just having a big bank account and a big this or that it's really about helping other people and, and 
leaving a legacy of, of, of serving each other. Yeah. Um, so we try to enable that. We try to teach people that no one, it's an opt-in opportunity. It's never a forced, you can come and just do your job and go home. And, and, but if you want to at Kehi and you want to engage, we have a whole, we have a whole uh, game plan, a whole litany of things and ways that you can engage in, in your own opportunities to serve or to join in with, uh, with all the things that Kehi does. We've had over a thousand employees travel on multi-day serving trips over the past seven years. Wow. So they could go, we, we actually lead overnights to the South side of Chicago because we have, we have some really good partners there that, that, you know, we, we, we serve with and they, they'll house us and, and put us to work and put us alongside people that are in need. We have gone to Haiti and Honduras and Nepal and Rwanda and, you know, just places all over the world. We, we, we send trips, we send groups every, every month to the border of Texas and Mexico to work with refugees slash immigrants that are just, they can't go anywhere. They're in kind of lockdown and, living in very impoverished situations. And so anyway, it's just, it, it's, we're inviting people into serving each other, uh, leaders serving their teams, but also in many ways, the ways that they learn how to serve firsthand is by going into these impoverished areas and, um, and just learning from our, our uh, nonprofit organizations that we partner with what it looks like to truly serve. And so it's been really, it's been a really cool, um, we never knew that we'd be able to implement Brene Brown's empathetic EQ growth by going and serving the poor. But frankly, that's one of the big ways that we've seen our company change over, over the years is by serving the less fortunate. Yeah. I, so I'm involved with a nonprofit in Chicago called Embark, which is it's an experiential education nonprofit and it's mm -hmm. based on the premise that you can't change the outcome for somebody unless you change their experiences. Yes. And that, and that we don't have an education gap in some of these underserved schools. We have an experience gap. I love that. And when you take, so the program takes these kids who are uh, sophomores through seniors in high school and brings them out on 10 journeys a year, which are essentially field trips on steroids. And then they're doing some soft skill planning in the meantime, in back at class. And it's amazing when you show somebody, you bring them into a different environment and you show them, hey, this is this experience. Hey, this is a different experience. This is what it's like to be homeless. This is what it's like to talk to a homeless person. It just, yes. it creates so much more empathy, so much more perspective. And these kids like turn on, you know, kids who are disengaged. Um, you know, I've talked to plenty of kids through the program over the years who were, I mean, at best actively disengaged and at worst selling guns or drugs or homeless or something like that. And, and now they've got, they have clear plans for themselves and those plans may not work out, but like, but they are driven, you know, they're, they're headed in a direction and it's amazing what that exposure does. And I have no, I'm not surprised at all to hear you say that it has an impact back on your business too. Yeah. I, it's a beautiful example. I, there's a, there's a, a book out there called change the culture, change the game. And it's looking at the science around how do you change behaviors? How do you change 
actions so that you get the kind of results that you're looking for. And what the book suggests is that instead of going right to the action and saying, okay, you will now conform to these lists of behaviors, you know, kind of like your kids, like, okay, don't touch this, touch this. And, you know, say you're sorry to your sister. I'm sorry. You know, kind of a, you know, conformity, right? Yeah. That you don't get a true change unless you change what people believe. And the way you change belief is by experience. You have to provide a different set of experiences, a different experience from what they've seen or, uh, or experienced themselves so that they can have a new sense of through what they believe uh, that there's a different outcome that's possible. So it's a, it's an experience begets belief, belief begets actions, and then actions beget results. I so we've really looked at that. Agree with that, we've, yeah. Yeah, we've looked at that serving experience, and we've said, let's serve in a way that's helpful. Uh, we don't want our people to go in thinking that they're going to change the world. It's not about that. It's about coming alongside these heroes, frankly, that are already doing frontline everyday serving. And saying, how can I serve you? So we're serving those that serve the poor, if you will. And then the, those servants pull us along with them. And they just say, well, come get to know these people. You know? And so, again, it's that power of a relationship to, to transform. That as people are known and they're understood, and we start recognizing that we're not that different. Um, we've had different experiences, but we're, we're just humans. Uh, some really cool things happen on both sides and transformation can happen both directions and a highly educated, very successful business executive can go serve the poor farmer in rural Southern Honduras and realize you're both just wanting to take care of your kids. Yeah. You want this, you want your, you want health, you want safety, you know, you want, to see things prosper as opposed to struggle. And, uh, and you kind of see the humanity in each other and it's really powerful, really powerful. Um, but that's where the experiences then kind of start forming a different set of beliefs about what, how you want to act, you know, how you want to behave. Well, I think that that is a, a beautiful sentiment to wrap up on here. Cool. Uh, I do have, I've been asking everybody one question at the end and I think you've answered it in a bunch of different ways, but I'll just ask it directly, which is in your mind, what is the purpose of business? Yeah. Um, I'll, uh, yeah, I'll just steal from B Corp that business ought to be a force for good. I think, um, I think it's, it, it's, if you want to live a life of purpose and impact, and I think we all do, if you really distill it down, I just, I think we all really do. Uh, we, we want to survive. And so if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, yes, you want to meet the needs. You want to shelter. You want to make sure you've got these basic things met. And, but if you go beyond that and you have a more transcendent you know, way that you want to live where you're thinking about your life, you're thinking about having a life of meaning, having a life that has a life that, that, that where you experience joy, you experience um, this, this kind of bigger uh, objective than just yourself and, and kind of taking care of yourself that you're actually kind of looking to give back to the community that you're from or the family you're from or from society in general. 
um, you know, business ought to not be a barrier to that. I think business ought to be an enabler of that. And so if I thought, I think about business as, yes, it's going to provide the livelihood. It's going to provide the basics, the needs. It's got to meet compensation wise. It's got to meet the basics, you know, and you got to make money. You know, if you don't make, have mission, there's, if you don't have margin, there's no mission and it just becomes a nice weekend hobby. Um, but if you, again, if you kind of get beyond some of those basics, then what you have is this purpose opportunity that business has to actually, you know, make a difference in our culture, to make a difference in our world, to literally kind of lead these kind of changes that we're wringing our hands about in our culture today, in our, in our, our, uh, United, the culture of the United States in our society, if you will. And then beyond, you know, we have incivility where if people have opposing views politically, if people have opposing views in a a religious, let's say, sense or a faith sense, if we have differences of opinion about, you know, what we believe about sexuality, what we believe about race and inclusion or equality, then we're immediately angry with each other. We're immediately on opposite sides and we stop being human with each other. Now I've actually dehumanized you because you don't agree with my tenets of life. And I think you're really, what we're doing in our culture is we're really just kind of killing ourselves. Cause when I, when I'm angry at my brother, if you will, cause we are all related genetically and, and you can, you know, scientifically, I'm, I'm really kind of cutting off my hand to save, you know, my face. If you are, I'm just kind of, I, I, I'm, I'm hurting myself is, is, is how it really is kind of uh, functioning. And what we see is that business could be an environment where you can actually get past all of that. And that's how we're viewing Kehi and, and our purpose, if you will, is that we serve to make lives better is why we exist. That's our purpose statement. And so we're really kind of setting up our company to be others focused and to say, how do we, how do we help civility happen where people with all kinds of differences can come together for common objectives, common values, and, and really get some amazing things done and do it in a way where we may disagree on a hundred different points, but we nonetheless can actually love each other because we're humans that I can see in that other person, these distinctiveness, this distinctives and uniquenesses that really make them special. They're one in a seven billion. There's no one, there's no two people alike. And, and so as we can treat each other that way, maybe just maybe within the context of business, we can truly do the unique, you know, we can create, uh, you know, a, a very, uh, you know, different kind of environment where you have people treating each other with dignity and respect um, just because they're human, not because they've done it to, necessarily even deserve it uh out of their actions but just because they were born (laughs) and they're breathing and they're human and and that we're we're treating them with that kind of dignity and that kind of respect so you know can business do that i believe so i I know that may be um altruistic but we're seeing we're seeing that we're working really hard at that at kehi and we're actually seeing some very fruitful results Um, and the results are measured in all the cultural ways but 
I, I'll stack our earnings up. Um, I mean, we, we beat our EBITDA projections last year by 18%. Wow. So we, we had projections and then we beat them by 18%. This year, we just finished our fiscal in April. We beat our EBITDA by 30%. And so you're seeing the kind of earnings growth. You're seeing customers who want to do business with us. You're seeing talent that is able to change the, the landscape, want to come in and work for Kehi because we've been working at all of these things of creating something that's really different and unique. Um, so it's, it isn't easy, but it's doable. So I think, I think business ought to be that. I, I don't think it ought to be just for maximizing shareholder value. Um, I think it ought to be more balanced. I think it ought to be for uh, people. I think it ought to be for the planet. I think it ought to create purpose in employees' lives. And I think to do that, you need to make, you need to have profits. And so I think, I think all of those things should be what business um, is existing to do. I don't know that there's a better way to say that. That was fantastic. A That's a wrap. Thank you so much. Rusty, thank you for being on with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I you know, whatever small signal boost this is for, uh, for you and the work that you guys are doing. I hope that people will listen to this. I'm going to push this out to as many people as I can, because I love the work you're doing. And I, I do think, I mean, I, I just believe strongly that you can do good by doing well. Yes. I like that. So there's, there's no question about it. Thank you. So thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Yeah. Love it. Hey folks, one last thing before you go. If you have a friend or colleague who you think would enjoy this episode, hit that little share button and send it their way. Also, if you like the episode, make sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss the next one. That's it. Thanks for coming. I'm O'Brien McMahon. Go make the most of your business and the people in it.